crime continues to surge across the United States, UCF creates a social justice degree, and secret footage from a pro-trans doctor leaks. I'm William Hall, and this is The William Hall Show. Welcome back to the show. So starting off here, the State Department is approving the Black Lives Matter flag to be displayed at embassies, which is already ridiculous to me. But really what this comes from is a memo here where it says the department supports the use of the term Black Lives Matter in messaging content, speeches and other diplomatic engagements with foreign audiences to advance racial equity and access to justice on May 25th and beyond. We encourage posts to focus on the need to eliminate systemic racism and its continued impact. Now, the problem that I have is that the BLM flag is essentially a terrorist flag because what you're really flying, what you're talking about there is the organization. It's what the organization has done. And so far, the only thing that they've done, as far as we can see, it's definitely not helped the black community, but what they have done is they've burned cities. They've burned black-owned, anybody's own business to the ground last year. They've done that this year as well, by the way. But that's what you're really flying there is a terrorist flag. And notice how they say in the statement that they, can, they support the use of the term Black Lives Matter. Well, if you're looking at just those three words on their own, it makes perfect sense. I mean, who disagrees that black lives don't matter or feels that way? Everybody knows and believes that black lives matter, just like they believe that any lives matter, all lives matter, of any race, sex, whatever it is. But what you have them saying here is, is that this statement means so much more than that to these people. It's not just they, the, the race. It's not just a situation of just making that statement because nobody would normally make that statement out of nowhere of just saying black lives matter because it's so obvious that you wouldn't need to say it. So when you are saying it, you're really talking about something very different. And that is the organization. That is the exact same group of people that have burned these cities, that have killed black people as well, by the way, in the process of these riots and protests that took, took place last year and this year as well. The thing we need to take into consider here is, and what we really need to be asked is, what have they done that has been positive? Because... They haven't helped the black community. That hasn't happened at all. I mean, why are we commemorating Black Lives Matter? What have they actually done? Nobody can point to you in that. The only thing we've seen is the co-founder buying houses, $3.5 million worth of houses all over the United States. But where is that money actually going? What good have they done? It's not there. So why are we flying these flags? I mean, think about the Confederate flag. Left-wing people were talking about this for the longest period of time. We can't have Confederate flags, and if you ask them why... They would say, well, it's racist. Well, somebody else might say, well, technically it's not. It's just like a Confederate flag. Like, why are you freaking out about this? But what they were saying is, well, it may mean something to you, but to me, it means something else. To me, it's offensive, so take it down. Well, how is that any different than the BLM flag? I mean, for some people, they see BLM as being this, being what it is and, and looking at the facts that they are a group and an organization 
that have done nothing but wreak havoc on plenty of different cities across the United States and have done nothing to help black people. On the other flip side of it, you see people that just see it as just those three words and nothing more. Not the statement, just the, or not the organization, but just the words. And sure, you, you can look at it that way. But the point is, is that it was the difference of opinions and meanings to different people that caused them to take down a Confederate flag, which they have a problem with. But, it's, you know, if it's BLM, it's perfectly fine. Obviously, there's a massive amount of hypocrisy there in this situation. So, speaking of just kind of BLM and along those lines, because of what BLM has done, we've started to see crime skyrocket. I mean, all over the country, it's been skyrocketing like crazy. So, we have a new report now that officers are fleeing the Minneapolis police force in droves amid this crime surge. So, an officer that left said in a statement, Since 2015, I know the city of Minneapolis has been backpedaling, taking tools away from police to enforce the law and keep the streets safe. Nearly 200 Minneapolis police officers have left the force in the wake of the death of George Floyd, with many filing post-traumatic stress claims due to civil unrest that followed. Minneapolis has seen at least 31 homicides this year. Those numbers are going to continue to go up. Here's another report here saying there have been a there has been a 250% increase in gunshot victims in 2021 alone. What we're seeing here is unprecedented and it's going to start coming to the closer areas near you because uh, unless you're in Florida uh, where I'm at in a lot of those places you're probably not going to see too much of this. But in some of these other cities that are Democrat run, I mean None of the governors, none of the uh, city mayors or anybody are willing to do anything about the crime rates. They're so afraid of the BLM mob telling them that they're racist or doing something wrong that they're willing, willing to let these police officers just quit en masse and let crime continue to go up because they are afraid to do their job, to actually protect the people that didn't ask for any of this stuff. So... There's actually a, uh, this, this uh, resident here um, is talking about the fact that the police went so far as to advise residents of the 3rd Precinct last year to anticipate giving up their possessions to robbers. So basically what they're saying here, and I've seen this a little bit of this variations on this, but what they're saying is, go ahead, give them your possessions. Let these criminals steal from you. Let them have what they want and let them go in their merry way so we don't have to deal with all these conflicts. How is that okay? I mean, think about this. Who, raise of hands, who is willing to let a criminal steal their car just to avoid the conflict? Not call the cops. Don't bother doing any of that. Just let them do whatever they want to do. That's what they're basically telling these people in these communities to do. The innocent people in the communities, by the way, is what they're, who they're really telling this to. Not the criminals. The criminals could care less. So there's actually this uh, clip with this journalist, as I mentioned on the show earlier this week, they were doing this memorial service and everything for George Floyd uh, because it's been a year since the incident took place of his death. And as this this news anchor is literally standing right there on the same, I think, corner where it all took place, reporting on what people were doing in memorial to George Floyd, uh, he starts hearing some shots being fired. Well, look, it's not going to be signed in time, at least according to the timeline that the White House and U.S. President Joe Biden had. They wanted this bill of comprehensive police reform uh, to be... Uh, to just got to be careful here with some gunshots. Excuse us, excuse us. It 
it sounds like gunshots. I'll let you know what this is. These seem to be gunshots. Shit. Shit, where is that? We're okay, we're okay, we're okay. So first of all, what is kind of crazy about this clip is that as soon as he hears the shots being fired, the guy just tries to like pretend like he's not freaking out. I mean, if that was me, I would be out of there. I'd be running away like I'm not standing here waiting to see what shakes out. These people are crazy. There was actually over 30 shots fired in that minute. Just, just 60 seconds. More than 30 shots fired back to back to back. And you could see cars going through and around the streets trying to do whatever they were doing with these drive-bys. I mean, this is crazy. This was on the anniversary, by the way, of George Floyd. I mean, that is this how you commemorate him? That you, you just commit all of these crimes? Is that to say and kind of commemorate the fact that George Floyd was a criminal too? These people in this community could care less about not behaving or, or could care less about behaving correctly. They don't care. They can't quit it for one day. And if a cop were to figure out who these people were and shoot them because they were trying to shoot some other guy, they would have been doing the same thing. Oh, look at these people. Look at these people. You know what? Leave them alone. That was my kind of thought process uh, before, and it still is the case now. Leave them alone. Let them go ahead and do it. Let them keep shooting each other because eventually at some point, somebody is going to say, all right, we need to bring in an actual police force that's going to do something about this because... They need to realize that this is a problem. These crime-ridden areas are, when, when you start defunding the police and when you start pulling the police out or keeping the police but making it so that they are unable to do their jobs properly because they're trying to get rid of qualified immunity like I've spoken about or something like that, what winds up taking place is crime goes up. The criminals aren't that stupid. They know that. They see it. And they say, hey, these cop guys only have tasers now. They took away their guns. Let's do whatever we want to do. Now we've got the guns. That sh it shouldn't be that way, but it is, unfortunately. And that's the big problem with trying to demonize and defund the police. Now, don't get this twisted for any second here. This rise in crime gives a really bad look, really, to Democrats. If people are actually paying attention to this, and I hope that they do. So, this rise in violent crime across the country could actually hurt Democrats in 2022. When we're looking at the midterm elections. So, a few more reports here. Homicides in cities increased by up to 40% over the previous year, the biggest single-year increase since 1960, a trend that has not abated so far in 2021. 63 of the 66 largest police jurisdictions saw a rise in at least one category of violent crime, ranging from homicide and rape to robbery and assault, according to the Major Cities Chiefs Association. Homicides and shootings have gone up for three straight years in Washington, D.C., and at least a dozen mass shootings were reported nationwide over the weekend. So what we're seeing here is a massive increase. On, on a city-by-city city level, we're looking at Philadelphia, 40% increase. New York City, 22%. Chicago, 22%. Los Angeles, 27%. Washington, D.C., 35%. Portland, 80%. Minneapolis, 56%. And Democrats still want to defund the police? I mean, this is what they have now, and it's already going up. Just because they are devaluing what they can do, just trying to take away tools from what they can actually do. And this is what you're already seeing. So really ridiculous there. It could hurt them. 
maybe it will, maybe it won't. I, I, I really think that it will if people are actually paying attention to this because all of this violence is going to cause for people to start leaving these states if they're paying attention to what's going on, which soon it's going to come to their door. It's going to come knocking where you're going to have situations where people are like, look, this place is dangerous. I need to go to a place with actual police. And they're going to look at coming to Florida. They're going to look at going to Texas, possibly. And they're going to be trying to get out of there. And hopefully people realize, hey, if we want some civ- civility to actually have police do their job, we're going to have to vote people in that aren't trying to get rid of them. That's what this is going to come down to, ultimately. I, I don't think that the elites, the politicians that have their own security detail, really have much of a stake in the matter. Because it doesn't matter whether they defund the police for them, Lori, the Lori Lightfoots and all of them, they have their own security details surrounding their house 24-7, paid for on staff, private security. They don't need the police in the sense that a normal person in the city does, that is defenseless and doesn't have their own surprise, their own private security detail. So that's where the big divide comes into play here. So speaking of George Floyd, there's actually this girl in high school and is in Long Island. And she was actually publishing a George Floyd poem and going through all of the different types of things that took place with Chauvin and all of that. So here's a quick clip of what was going on. She was a bit upset because she tried to get this poem published and the school refused to do it. Good morning. We are here today on the anniversary of the murder of George Floyd because this young poet wrote a Shakespearean sonnet which dealt with the murder of George Floyd. She went into Derek Chauvin's mind and reflected his mindset as he committed the murder in a Shakespearean sonnet, a classical sonnet. Ruby was able to have her poetry published in the Port Jefferson Schools magazine And her poetry was first in this magazine up until now. Yet when she submitted the sonnet, the dark sonnet, regarding the death, the murder of George Floyd, the school authorities took the racially charged position that in this predominantly white exclusive public school, No poem, no sonnet like that could be tolerated by the student body, the almost all white faculty, and the community. Instead, the school district took the position that her sonnet, which they themselves agreed, was very well done, expertly done, could not be published because it would disturb the students, the faculty, and the community of Port Jefferson. The students, the faculty, and the community are overwhelmingly white. Has the good fortune that I am her father, as well as her lawyer, and we have decided to bring a case against the school district for violating her rights of free speech, for discriminating against her because she advocates for the African-American community and as well for depriving her of a free uh, public education. 
by depriving her of the ability to be published in the school magazine. It impedes her career, it impedes her future, and all because of race. So we've decided to bring a notice of claim which is the precursor to the beginning of a lawsuit. Derek Chauvin's Ode to George Floyd, a dark sonnet. From mama's hands, you had not any chance. The street, the hood, made you so young ashamed. To stand tall, to control your circumstance. Black man, it's you will crack, white men proclaimed. Stay down, they say. Your fate is in our hands. Obey, okay? Obey me. I'm the cop who kneels upon your naked soul, who stands on top your darkened head until you stop your sorry cry for mama. Take no breath. I bring justice here, pressed upon your neck. If I decide you now face certain death, a fate deserved because you passed a bad check. You can't breathe? Then cease your black man drama. I will make you weep for mama, mama. So first of all, that's just a terrible poem. I mean, I don't claim to be a writer, but that's a bad poem. It's just dumb, like in the sense of the structure of it. But there's other parts of this that are just ridiculous too. Now, um, the, if you actually saw the the or heard the guy in the very beginning, that's actually her dad that's talking about her poem and whatnot. And so, he, look, man, I get it; it's your daughter and whatnot. But she wasn't in the mind of Chauvin. She she wasn't in his mind. She's assuming everything from that. I mean, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean, considering that she never spoke a word to Derek Chauvin whatsoever to even know his intentions. Nobody knows his intentions. So assuming the intentions is ridiculous right there. But um, there's, so there's, it goes on. And, and the thing is that the reason why they're suing, so there's they're trying to sue the school for this, for not publishing her poem, which is dumb because the school has every right to choose not to publish a poem if they don't want to publish a poem. But she's mad specifically because she tried to pander and thought that that was automatically going to result in the success of this poem. That's what this is about. Is that she assumed if I write this and it's about George Floyd, there's a very good chance that they'll have no choice but to accept my poem into this and publish it into this magazine or whatever they were trying to do. Now you tell me. Everybody's talking about this. I mean, uh, showing clearly that she, you know, oh, she must be pretty woke, right? She must be somebody that's very liberal and she's trying to fight for racial justice and it's so unfair how they're not allowing her to do that. But let's take a second here and think about it. What she's doing is extremely selfish. That's what this is about. This poem, it's not about George Floyd. This poem is about her. Everything that she's talking about here is about her, not the poem. She doesn't, she couldn't care less, in my opinion, about George Floyd. She won't tell you that. But in reality, if this was really about George Floyd, why would it matter if it got published or not? It's about her, her name being on it. It's about her own attention. And that's why I think that this is extremely selfish behavior. So the school actually responded to them about this and said, uh, I agree that your sonnet is well written. I hope you understand how touchy of a subject this can be. It can be dangerous, not only to the student body reading the work, but the faculty and the staff as well. I do not believe this piece is appropriate. Now, she probably took this as them thinking that for some reason that, oh, they must be 
uh, just so uh, racist against her. And this, if you're listening to this on audio, that's a white girl, by the way, that is <laughs> that is reading this George Floyd poem, the one that wrote it as well. But she's thinking that it's some type of discrimination thing or something is the reason why they won't do it. When in reality, they're just saying, look, this topic is something that we don't feel like we need to be dealing with. She thought she had an in with this. That's what that is about, as I mentioned. She thought that she had it on the easy path. If I just write any old poem about George Floyd, I don't need it to be a good poem. I just need it to be about George Floyd, and I'm automatically getting published. And that's what she tried to do and failed. And now they're trying to sue the school for like $2 million. Yeah, good luck with that, folks. Good luck. That's not how this is going to work. The whole poem's ridiculous. I don't, you don't even really have to go through each portion of it to realize how dumb it is. It's just a, full of a bunch of lies. Nothing that she can actually prove to be the case about what uh, Derek Chauvin was thinking at the time anyway. So that ought to tell you as much as you need to know right there. Just a quick reminder that I do have a Patreon page where you can donate directly to the show. And in case you have not realized already, the YouTube channel is probably going to be silent for a little bit for about a week. Uh, because YouTube has struck one of my videos because I was talking about the coronavirus, apparently. And they think that it is not up to their standards or whatever in their new standards of reasoning with the coronavirus statistics and whatnot, which change, by the way, pretty much every week to week, depending on what's going on. But they have uh, hard-striked one of my videos, so as a result, I'm unable to upload anything for a week. If you are not subscribed to my Rumble channel, please do subscribe there where we do have free speech. They're not going to be able to... Uh, suspend or ban anybody there like youtube does whatsoever so if you're looking for that on rumble it's going to be uh just just go into rumble search for william hall or william 5849 either one of those will lead you directly to my channel on there where you can see my most up-to-date videos as well at least until youtube comes back and i can catch up with everything that's going on there so uh regardless if you're already subscribed to me there i thank you for doing so christianity in schools has been one of those topics that has come up over the last 15 years and it's it's something that I think that a lot of conservatives kind of gave up on a long time ago just Christianity in public schools and it was kind of on this idea and they were talking about the separation between church and state and whatnot but really what this comes down to is that they were saying you know we don't want any prayer in schools we don't want any religious teachings being brought up at all in public schools but what we're seeing now is a overstep even further, where they're saying, you know what, you can't even talk about God or Jesus in schools. No more of that. And so this is a report. It's from a Michigan high school senior who was selected as valedictorian of her graduating class and was told by the principal that she would not be allowed to discuss faith in Jesus Christ at the graduation speech on June 6th. So this is a massive overreach because... It's going a lot further than just saying, hey, those teachers can't teach about it. We can't pray in school based off of what the teacher says. But now you can no longer even mention it. You can't talk about it. So Elizabeth Turner, that's the name of the senior valedictorian there, uh, is actually going to be in the actual statement that's out of the speech that she was going to use, says this. For me, my future hope is found in my relationship with Christ. By trusting in him and choosing to live a life dedicated to bringing his kingdom glory, I can be confident that I am living a life with purpose and meaning. My identity is found by what God says, and who I want to be is laid out in scripture. Whether we want to admit it or not, not one of us can be certain of how our lives will unfold, but we do know that trials will come. The reality of this is what we face in unpredictable future. 
And while we are making all these plans to prepare, ultimately none of us are promised tomorrow, making it all the more important to make today count. And everything in there is absolutely a great way to talk to seniors going throughout their lives. Because so many of these students have these preset ideas. I mean, I did, everyone did when we were leaving high school of all the goals that we wanted to accomplish, all the things that we wanted to do. And how many of them didn't involve God, maybe? How many of them were just things that we saw out there that we were like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do, I'm going to be successful in the way that the world views success. Instead of actually trying to make things right in our lives at that moment or then, and understanding that, hey, wherever life takes you, God has this plan for you, and this is the way that it's going to go. And you may not like it all the time, you may not agree with it, but that's the plan that God has set for you. And the problem is that a lot of these students need to hear a message like that. The ones that are going to go out there and think that they're going to fail because they're not doing something a certain way. Or maybe they're not going to a specific college that's as nice as this other person is going to this other college and thinking that they're lesser than because of that reason. Whatever it is, I think this is a very uplifting uh, speech and uh, at least a section of it, of course. I think it's great. And it showcases how people should be looking at their futures and understanding that we, you know, tomorrow's not promised to us. It's not. Get your lives right today. So the principal actually replied to this speech um, over email, telling her, "This is better than uh, this is better, and you fix the language, but you are representing the school in the speech, not using the podium as your public forum. We need to be mindful about the inclusion of religious aspects." These are your strong beliefs, but they are not appropriate for a speech in a school public setting. I know this will frustrate you, but you have to be mindful of it. And they kind of went back and forth a few more emails and whatnot. That's not really as much as important as what's going on here. But this is a violation of the First Amendment. That's really what this is. Because there is a protection of <laughs> of expressing religious beliefs. There is. And the thing is that, as I mentioned, they wanted to take Jesus out of schools just in the general sense of teaching. Now they're saying you can't talk about it. Don't bring it up. Don't mention it. Don't say his name. That's a problem. That's a massive problem. And the thing is that this would be a totally different situation if she was trying to come out as gay, trans, any of that stuff they'd have no problem with. But Christian, Christianity, it's old hat to them. It's looked at as bigoted by the world. That's why they don't want her to say anything about it. Lord forbid people hear someone talk about it. You know what? If I was her, I'd do it anyways. Let them take me off the stage. Let them take me off the stage. I'm doing it anyways. Because it's worth it. You only get a certain amount of times to do and get up in front of a group of people and maybe speak some truth to them. And this is a perfect situation where somebody should be doing this regardless of what they say. But it's also a good understanding of really what happens when Christianity is not only just stricken from the teachings, but stripped from our entire society. And I think somebody had went on to talk about this situation a little bit further, basically expounding on the point that the high school needs to show that, look, we shouldn't be discriminating on your religion because these kids are going to go out into the world and they're going to see that. They're going to see it happen. We need them going out into the world not thinking that it's the government's job to tell somebody what they can and cannot say about their religion. And that's where you have this big divide taking place. And I think that it's 
good that she's doing it. She should do it anyways, is what I say. Say and speak the truth. Ignore what the rest of these people are talking about um, because ultimately they're just trying to scare you into thinking that it's something else. We know if this was any other situation, any other woke kind of thing, they'd have no problem with her bringing it up. The University of Central Florida, UCF, it's about 40 miles from where I am right here in Florida. They are creating a new social justice degree. So this is, and you probably were thinking this whole time, well, I mean, haven't there already been some type of social justice degrees on these campuses? And in a way, yes, because what you're talking about are other liberal arts degrees have already kind of parroted many social justice types of ideas and whatnot, but now they're actually coming up with an actual degree literally just called social justice and allowing people to get a graduate certificate in it. So according to the school's website, students can receive a graduate certificate for the College of Community Innovation and Education in Social Justice in Public Service. The program is aimed at developing leaders who can influence policy to create social justice. So you basically mean an activist. That's what that is. I mean, it's not like they're studying law, studying something that would actually allow them to maybe uh, run for the government or teaching them about that. No, what they're doing is they're actually just training up activists to do and protest and do things and think that that's going to make a difference. So students will uh, study the theoretical background of social justice, explore topics such as human rights, income uh, distribution, and the role of markets. The topics will help students understand the impact of social justice on government, nonprofit sectors in education, health, transportation, and the housing policy domains, among others. The thing is about all of this is that there's only justice in this country. Anytime that you need to add social justice or add whatever it is to that justice, what it means is that you're, you're validating the ability to be unjust to another group. That's what this is about. Because justice in and of itself is objective. It shouldn't be based off of certain types of groups in this way or that way or whatever, whichever way you want to make it. Because what this is about is that it applies and the law of the United States applies evenly across the board. There's no racist law or anything like that. So when we're talking about social justice and they add that part on there, really what they're saying is, hey, anything to help black people get better grades, anything to help help there to be more black people that are involved in this or more women involved in that. But what that means is that those other people, say white people, for example, or men, wind up getting kind of screwed in the process because now they're the ones that get discriminated against in the name of social justice. It's not very just, is it? It's not justice at all. That's really the, the kind of the weirdness about all of that. But UCF also is apparently not the first school to do this. So according to Campus Reform, the University of Iowa became the first school in 2016 to add a bachelor's program in social justice to its list of degrees. So once again, like I said, this isn't any surprise. And I guess if anything, what we can say is, hey, at least they're just telling you right away what it is. I mean, they might as well have a class called Social Justice Warrior because that's basically what these classes are going to be. And it's all aimed at trying to raise up the next activist. I mean, these aren't degrees to help you be or get a job. It's not like you're ever going to see a job application say, social justice degree required or recommended. No, that's what? <laughs> You don't need a degree to be an activist. All you have to do is just jump on Twitter, type a bunch of mean tweets at people, and just run around and you know protest for whatever you think their next big cause is. That's basically it. You don't need a degree in it. But hey, if you want to pay them $50,000 a year to do it, 
more power to you, I guess. I mean, at least they're giving you the opportunity, right? So there's part, part of that right there. So in this secretly recorded footage, a pro-trans doctor makes probably one of the most insane arguments I've ever heard regarding removing uh, different body parts for teenagers. I'm just going to say this, that actually people get married when they're under 20. Actually, people choose colleges to go to. Actually, people make life-altering decisions in adolescence. All the time. All the time. And honestly, most of them are good. It's just the bad ones that we talk about. Oh my God, the cinnamon challenge, right? I mean, why do we know about it? Because it's, it's a thing and it's, it's, not, it's not common. Like most teenagers aren't eating cinnamon, right? But some are and they're on YouTube and that's stupid. But we don't put on YouTube the things that are really good decisions, right? Oh my gosh, my kid took the SATs. Not a very exciting after school special. Right? But so what we do know is that adolescents actually have the capacity to make a reasoned, logical decision. And here's the other thing about chest surgery. If you want breasts at a later point in your life, you can go and get them. So this is an absolutely insane argument. So let's go a little bit through what she's talking about slowly to kind of break down what it is that she's saying. So one of the parts in the first part that she's talking about here is where she says, but we don't put on YouTube the really good decisions. Oh my gosh, my kids took the SATs. Not a very exciting after school decision. So she's using this, the SATs as this kind of reasoning and, and comparing that, this saying that the SATs and taking them are a good decision. And then saying, well, in the same light, you know, if a child chooses to basically chop off their different body parts to turn them into a man or woman, then that is okay too, because that's also a good decision, but we should celebrate that. We should celebrate that. She goes on to say, so what we do know is that adolescents actually have the capacity to make reasonable and logical decisions. Now she's saying that because they think that, well, if they can decide to take the SAT, they must be logical and reasonable, right? Here's the thing. They're taking the SAT probably because they're being told to do so, probably by their parents or the school. The thing is, is that when left to their own devices, adolescents don't make these types of decisions. If left to their own devices and the SATs existed but weren't required or even recommended and didn't help you that much, they, none of them will probably take it because it doesn't do anything for them. But they're taking it because they're being recommended to do it by their parents. Maybe they're being told to do it by their parents or the school or their teachers. That's a decision that an adolescent made in conjunction with an adult. It's a big deal. It makes a very big difference because she's advocating for these adolescents to be able to decide to chop certain body parts off at any given point in time without any parental consent. And so she goes on and she says, and here's the other thing about chest surgery. If you want breasts at a later point in your life, you can go and get them. That's a lie. It's not true. Once you've had um, a double mastectomy or something like that, going back and trying to get them back again, it would only be fake. It, it's not going to, to fulfill what it is that you wanted in the first place. That's the, I mean, that it's really brutal what they're doing to these children, to these kids that don't know any better and then passing it off and pretending like they do know better. The thing is that any good long-term decision made by a child is typically accompanied by some kind of good parental decision. They're not making these good choices on their own. Okay. They, if, if left on their own, 
adolescents will probably make only bad decisions. As somebody that used to be an adolescent, like everyone else, yeah, like I wouldn't want to be left up to my own devices. I can assure you that would be a horrible idea. You know, the other thing too is that adolescents do not have the neurological hardware in place to properly evaluate the long-term consequences of a particular action. It's part of brain development, this maturity. There's a reason why that word exists. Maturity oftentimes could be just kind of uh, boiled down to making a good decision even though you don't want to do it. Doing something that you don't necessarily want to do can be a very mature thing. And the other part too is that a child's inability to make competent and reasoned choices is the whole basis of our consent laws. I mean, when we say kids aren't able or people under the age of 21 can't drink, why are we saying that? When when we're saying that a person that's 25 years old can't date a 16 year old, why are we saying that? Because even if that 16 year old agrees to date that person and they're fine with it, we're saying, no, you're too young to make a reasonable decision. You're too young to drink and make a good, reasonable decision and choices based off of that. So we limit the age of these things. We have consent laws. We have all of this in place because we understand, or at least we used to understand, that there was a line in which we could draw in the sand and say, at this point, anyone younger than this may not be reasonably able to make good decisions because they're too young and too immature to do otherwise. That is a reality. But the ultimate problem that you have with these people and their decision-making is that they're saying, if you don't like your body, just change it. If you don't want to be yourself, no problem. Simply take these pills, change your name, cut your hair, do whatever it is to be someone else. That's what they're promising. And they're calling these standards affirmative care, not sex change, not sex reassignment. They're calling it affirmative care. Leave it to the left to actually basically tell you exactly how you're supposed to behave towards it in the name. (laughs) In other words, be affirming. Don't say anything negative about it. Just do whatever they tell you that they want to do. Let it happen. Don't try to get to the root cause of any of the problems. So 60 Minutes actually caught a lot of flack for airing what I thought was actually a pretty good segment talking about people that have actually transitioned to a different sex and then detransitioned back to the original sex. I just had this sense that if if I could inhabit life as like a trans man, as a man, then I wouldn't feel so self-conscious. I was thinking that it would make me feel very free. Grace says she found a gender therapist on the internet and told her, I'm thinking of transitioning. She thought it all sounded pretty good. Did the therapist not question you about how deep the feeling was and what it was stemming from? She didn't go really go into what my gender dysphoria might have been stemming from. We only did a few sessions. Because she was over 18 and didn't need parental consent, she says she merely signed an informed consent form at a clinic and got hormone shots. They asked me, So why do you want to go on testosterone? And I said, well, being a woman just isn't working for me anymore. And they said, okay. So that was that. You got your prescription for testosterone. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Just four months after she started testosterone, she says she was approved for a mastectomy, what's called top surgery, that she told us was traumatic. Garrett from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, went from taking hormones to getting his testicles removed, he says, in just three months, whereas the current guidelines call for continuous use for a year. He later got a breast augmentation, but instead of feeling more himself, he says he felt worse. So more depressed after you transition than before. Mm -hmm. I had never really been suicidal before um, until I had my breast augmentation. And about a week afterwards, I wanted to like actually kill myself. Like I had a plan and I was gonna do it, but I just kept thinking about like my family to stop myself. It kind of felt like, how am I ever going to feel normal again like other guys now? All right. And of course, that's just a short snippet of it. I definitely encourage you to watch the entire thing. It's very interesting. It really is to see what some of these doctors have done to these people. And they don't want them to talk about this. And, and they've mentioned that kind of briefly in some of the videos. They don't want the trans community, the left wing people, they don't want these people coming out there saying, and talking about the fact that, hey, maybe some of these doctors aren't helping anybody. Maybe they're just going along with the flow because they don't want to seem uh, non-affirming. That's what they're essentially talking about. And it's harming a lot of people and they don't want people to pay attention to it. That's the issue. You have uh, these doctors that are basically saying, oh, this, this child needs our help and we're going to do this and do that. And they never even try to evaluate what the actual reasoning was behind it, what the root cause was. They don't care. They're just there to make money, make a buck off of it, and do what they can to say that they're being woke and they're being progressive without ever having to face the realities of what they're actually doing. You have Dodgers that approved a double mastectomy or a top surgery for uh, just four months after she started testosterone. Rather than helping the girl accept and love her body, Doctors were happy to chop off pieces of her, send her on her way, bye-bye, you're done. That is a problem here, that we're doing this. That doctors are allowed to do this, that we're allowing adolescents to make these decisions, and you have doctors literally advocating, saying, it's no big deal, you can, you're, you're Mr. Potato Head, It's basically what that lady was saying in the earlier video, you can put... Take, take certain things off, put certain things on and swap them around and do this. And if you don't want them, you can, you don't have to have them. And if you want them five, 10 years from now, you can put them right back on. That's not how the body works. You only have one. And you can have a lot of people walking around with mutilated bodies trying to figure out what in the world they're doing with themselves. Because once you go back, it's never going to be the same. So why are you going in that direction in the first place? A lot of these people just need some counseling. Maybe they need some Jesus in their life. Regardless, they have issues and these doctors are only exacerbating these problems they are not helping anything at all not to mention there's tons of uh, studies actually showing that people that transition to another sex still have all of the same depression and exactly the same suicide rate they had before they transition you have the left-wing people literally arguing and saying oh this is helpful for them this will help them be so much uh feel more comfortable in their skin and they this is saving their lives because if they didn't transition they would kill themselves but that's not true that's just statistically not true and the thing is is that to wrap all of this up these gender transitions is what they call them it's what i've been referring to in them as this entire time 
It's not really a transition. It's really a forfeiture. Because what you're doing is you're saying to yourself, you know what, I don't want, I give up on me. I give up on the way that God created me. I don't want to be the way that I am anymore. What I want to be is something else. I'm giving up on being a man. I'm giving up on being a woman. I I reject the manhood that I've been given. I reject the womanhood that I've been given. And I want to give all of that up to become something entirely different. Something that you can never fully attain. Because that's not how the body works. None of these women will ever become a real man. None of these men will ever become a real woman. At some point, and I'm surprised, and I think we're already heading in that that direction, but I think at some point we're really going to start seeing, and society as a whole is going to start paying attention to this and saying, this cannot happen. It can't. It's gone too far. Way too far. We need to get back to the basic truths that we know that have been part of our society, part of of God for thousands and thousands of years. This is why progressivism never will succeed. It always is going to be pushing the boundaries way too far. What's stopping the next person from saying I'm a tree or I'm a helicopter or I'm this or you name it? What's going to stop them from doing that? Because at this point in this day and age, that's where we're at. Thinking that it makes somehow some type of sense to entirely reconfigure your own body to do what? To make yourself feel better when you don't actually feel better at all? Meanwhile, ignoring, slandering the people that actually went back to their original sex? It's just body mutilation and the fact that doctors are able to get away with this I'm telling you, there's gonna, there needs to be some arrest soon. Because at cer- a certain point, you would hope that doctors are actually looking out for what's best for the patient. Not because they're scared of some woke mob on Twitter. They should be concerned about the actual pa- patient's health. I don't understand how any real doctor out there is doing this and pretending like it's okay. It's not okay. It never has been and it never will be. But... With that being said, I thank you for watching or listening to the show. As I mentioned earlier, please remember to subscribe to my Rumble channel. You can search me by just searching William Haller or William5849 on there as well. And you can find me there. I will not be able to upload on YouTube for about a week. So make sure to check that out on the Rumble channel as well. So I thank you for watching or listening to the show. And I will see you on the next one. You just watched an episode from The William Hall Show. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe.